Hi, I'm Mick Cronin and this is What's Your Cause? A podcast in which I interview a variety of guests about a cause that is close to them, something they feel passionate about. I want to start conversations that educate, inspire and shine a light on causes around the globe can or are having a significant social impact. But here's the kicker. Each guest will nominate the next and become a chain that will lead from my very first guest to my last and ultimate guest of season one, Barack Obama. Got your attention? Thought I might. So, hello and welcome to episode 12 of What's Your Cause? This is a mixed choice episode. And who I've chosen? Nick Pierce. So, Nick is the co-founder and former CEO of Homie. And Homie, if you don't know, is a Melbourne-based streetwear label and social enterprise. 100% of its profits go towards achieving its mission, which is to support young people affected by homelessness and hardship. Now, Homie does this in a couple of ways. One, they have the, home, they have the Homie Partway Alliance. Um, which is an accredited retail education and employment program for young people aged 18 to 25. Um, and secondly, they have Homey VIP days in which young people are welcomed into the store to shop for free Homey garments while enjoying um, haircuts, beauty services, personal care packs, and also having lunch with the Homey team. So I've known Nick for many years now, so it was great to actually sit down with him and hear his story. Um, and it's quite unique in a way because I think it might be one of the first times that Nick has actually spoken um, since he's become the ex-CEO uh, of Homey as well. So, you know, it's one, it's a conversation in which he, you know, reflects a little bit um, and a conversation in which he shares um, how he became to, you know, get into the work that he does, the work of Homey and, uh, and the importance of social enterprise. So with that, here's episode 12 with Nick Pierce. So, Nick Pierce, welcome to What's Your Cause? Mick, thanks for having me, mate. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to this one, mate. Um, we've known each other for a while, and I, I, know, I know what you're about. So, this is, a, this is a, an interview I'll be looking forward to. Um, so, we'll just uh, jump right in, mate. So, Nick Pierce, What's Your Cause? Oh, yeah. Well, mate, thanks for having me on. I think um, I, I was thinking about this, obviously, when, when we spoke um, about coming on the podcast and especially just this weekend gone by. And it's probably a, a few things. I know that's probably a bit cliche, but um, I was thinking about the best way to articulate it. And um, I remember I was doing some um, judging uh, for this award in Melbourne. And this woman came by who was presenting uh, for this amazing service uh, that's based uh, in Kensington. And at the start of her presentation, she had this quote, which really resonated with me. And I guess I've sort of feel like I've appropriated a bit. So I must give kudos and credit to her. But it was by this, um, it's by this uh, writer many years ago who um, had a, the pen name George Eliot, but actually was a woman called uh, Mary Ann Evans. And it went along the lines of sort of what, what do we live for if not to make life um, a bit easier for someone else or something like that or for one another. And I, and I really like that notion and sentiment because I just, for me, it, it felt um, really tangible. And I guess it really kind of resonated with some of the things that uh, I had done or was doing at the time and, and still are trying to do around trying to make life a little bit less difficult for, for people. Um, and it probably stemmed from um, me, uh, you know, I was experiencing some difficulties um, as I was growing up and um, when I was sort of finishing school. Um, and I guess that sort of set me on this path to what I have been doing more recently. But obviously, um, I, I, I work and, and started a social enterprise that um, supports young people who are affected by homelessness and hardship. And, and that's, you know, become something that I've really over time um, developed such a strong affinity towards uh, and, and, and real passion for. Um, but I guess it also probably stemmed from initially 
my own experiences and curiosity um, around sort of mental health and illness, and, and obviously they're quite interconnected issues. So it's probably those things. So yeah, mental health and then homelessness, and then um, those probably the things that I've been really engaged with. But I guess back to what my cause is, I think it actually is just trying to make life a bit less difficult for people. Um, and yeah, it stems from, as I say, uh, me enduring some difficulties, not not the hardest things um, ever, but certainly some adversity um, when I finished school, yeah. So if you go back a little bit then, yeah, so uh, a young Nick Pierce as well. So, you know, obviously you go through school and so forth and you say, you know, there's a few few things that you might be, you know, um, you know battling against as, as many do. When did you kind of feel or notice within you that you know you wanted to make a you felt you had a bit of a social conscience can you remember even like always we like you one of them kids that was always looking and going that's not fair we you know we need to make that just or was it something that kind of resonated with you more connected more when you left school Probably a bit of both. It's a great question, actually, because I think at school I was kind of engaged. Like I, I liked getting involved in those community um, sort of activations and you know the fundraising, all that kind of stuff. I really enjoyed um, that stuff. Maybe some resume padding as well. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think um, it really hit me. You know, probably my, my sense of empathy probably developed, as I say, post school. Somewhat, I think there was it was a semblance of that, and as I say, it was engaged. Um, but yeah, it was probably yeah, a moment where. Um, and not to go sort of too, too deep and serious, but um, it's probably worth touching on that I, I got diagnosed with a mental illness, which is something that uh, at school, I think most people who knew me probably would never have thought that was something that um, would have transpired to you know someone like me. Um, and I was very lucky, I had a really fortunate upbringing, loving family, all those elements. But I think um, the lack of sort of structure and routine and then sort of the anxiety that I was feeling about what was next in my life um, sort of... I guess, culminated and manifested into um, obsessive compulsive disorder, which at the time was one of those things which, you know, I'd never had any experience with mental, um, you know, we all have mental health, of course, but um, mental illness, you know, and um, and I guess for me, it was sort of a bit of a, it really hit me. It was it was something that um, I hadn't precedented and, um, and yeah, I, I think because my, my prior experience with these things was just the assumptions that, oh, if someone has depression, they just need to cheer up more and be happy, et cetera, et cetera. So very naive, right, and wasn't informed whatsoever. So so that kind of, um, for me, it was funny. It was such a challenging time. That's what I was alluding to, obviously, at the start of the podcast. But um, it really, in a lot of ways, helped me to develop a sense of empathy uh, and also gave me some, some purpose, which is funny to say, because... You know, having a mental illness, you, you wouldn't wish it upon your worst enemy. Um, at you know, at the lowest of the lows as well. It's excruciating at times, but um, managed to get the right support, obviously, and sought help and working with professionals, and you know, got a really great network around me. And I think um, I, I I wanted to channel uh, that experience into something positive because I thought part of my recovery could be, you know, what if just I could make someone else feel like they weren't alone, and that was something that was really. Um, apparent for me at that time was I had always people around me, but I felt quite lonely. And I think the reason was because it's so hard to articulate what it's like and no one can really fully understand it unless they've experienced it. So I kind of thought, well, oh geez, you know, if there was a way that someone else could benefit from me sharing my story and opening up, that that would be um, a worthwhile endeavor. And again, sort of harks back to that quote that I spoke to, which probably acknowledges how I've tried to go about things. Um, was, yeah, I, I guess I wanted to start to speak about it. And I remember having sort of conversations with my family and, you know, my mum saying, you know, Nick, to something that we, you don't have to share, you know, with the world unless, you, you know, it's something you, you want to and feel comfortable, etc. And I, and I really did uh, want to because um, that was what was driving me. So, um, yeah, it was it was probably that experience. And it's, it's funny to say that 
as I say, you know, you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy and all the rest of it, but I'm quite grateful for it because it really has set me on a path and I, and I manage it, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It's something that will always be with me, but I, I'm so well-equipped to manage it now um, and I'm lucky that, you know, all that support has, has certainly made a big difference in my life. But um, I guess that was the motivating force and factor which, yeah, developed empathy for me and I realized that mental health and mental illnesses are so complex and, you know, that was one particular one and there are so many and, and um, that was just the tip of the iceberg, right? So in a lot of ways, it was kind of um, a bit of a catapult into wanting to try and use it to, to do something, um, you know, positive and, and, and take away from, um, yeah, what was, you know, obviously just a challenging time. Well, thanks for sharing that, mate. Uh, I know that, like, it, you know, talking about it um, is it's so beneficial for for your, like for other people to hear your story because there's so many people that will probably can you know could really be in a position where they're listening to this and go, you know, I resonate with that, or you know, I have a, a family friend, a son, a daughter who's who's maybe going through that as well. And I think the the more people share and the more people talk about it, the greater it is for everyone. I think, but I know it's a challenging thing to do, so I really appreciate you sharing that. How then, if you mind t- telling us, like, how did you then, you know, co-found Homie? How did how did that how did that start? Where did it start, and and how did it progress to what it is today? Yeah, well, mate. Thanks, thanks to the kind words as well. Um, and yeah, again, as I say, like, hopefully that's you know, try attempt to make someone's life easier, right? Is is to be able to share that stuff. But um, I, I guess um, where did Homie start? It's a really good question. Um, a few years ago now, when I had a full head of hair. Um, <laughs> Big afro. I, I saw the pictures of the afro. When did you have one, mate? Um, what? When did I have, when did I have hair? I think, yeah. it was about, I think it was about seven, I reckon. I <laughs> yeah, close to me. Close to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I got quite involved um, post that experience. And, and one of the first things I did was I, I did some advocacy work for a group called Headspace, which is um, the National Youth Mental Health Foundation. And, um, and then I guess... I really got a bit of a spark ignited in me to want to try and do other things. And um, and I was studying sort of uh, at RMIT at that point in time, doing a degree in professional communication, uh, which is kind of a blended mix of sort of media activities, journalism, media, PR, advertising, etc. cetera. Um, but I was doing some voluntary work because I wanted to get into that course. It took me a while to get into it. Um, and I was working with someone who was a freelance photographer and doing some sort of um, photography events and all this kind of stuff. And I came across this charity that they were doing some uh, promotional material for, for this bike ride there was these two guys who i met um who were doing this fundraising bicycle ride they were kind of like um uh, hamish and andy in some way like just as personality types um but they're far less recognizable no one would know their names so they're lovely lovely fellows doing awesome things in their lives but um a bit of trivia one of them actually was the manny for sting for a number of years he's got some great stories the uh right at least pretty cool but um they actually they rode from london to melbourne they, they did a um bicycle ride i think it um took them 11 months uh, so obviously they couldn't ride across water, but they essentially rode across all the major continents um, and did this trip, and it was absolutely awesome. I was really awe-inspired by it. And, um, and they were raising uh, some, some money and awareness for anti-child trafficking. So that was this big cause that they had done, and they wanted to actually run another trip, but involved just you know the average punter. Um, and it was this fundraising bicycle ride from Vietnam to Cambodia. So they said, you know, whilst we were doing this sort of, um, I guess, campaign work and doing some videos and photography for them, I said, hey, Nick, you should come on this trip. Um, and I hadn't given it, you know, a thought before, but then I thought that actually sounds really fun to, to go overseas. And at that point in time, you know, I was working part-time, studying and um, and went on this trip. And I guess that was another kind of inflection point. So um, what I loved about it was that we, we ended up raising um, funds for just one school in a really remote region of Cambodia. It was called the Chamkarnol Province School. Um, and we, we wrote about 
about a thousand k in in a week. So it was pretty decent riding under the circumstances. You're on push bikes. Um, I actually got a commemorative tattoo of a bicycle on my, my left bottom cheek to commemorate as part of the, the fundraising effort. So I was sort of <laughs> always trying to go, you know, how do I engage people and, and, you know, try and make as much money as possible for this cause. So I, I sort of set a crowdfunding thing and sort of raise X amount, I'll do that, which I did. Uh, and also I think I got my full body wax as well, which is probably more painful than the tattoo itself. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so this, this ride, I think, um, what I loved about it was it was for, yeah for one school in a really remote region, and we raised about forty thousand Australian dollars. So obviously that goes a fair way, uh, you know, in that environment. And I love the fact that it wasn't this just large kind of conglomerate sort of you know beast of an organisation or entity that we were raising funds for. It was really specific uh, and grassroots uh, and tangible and transparent, and that felt really nice to kind of know what we were doing. And I guess um, we were sort of posed the question after that that riding, and it was yeah, pretty arduous, sort of you know, on the bike and with the humidity and all the rest of it. But um, got to the school, and you know, obviously said, "Oh, we've raised X, and and you know, what do you want to do with it?" Was was the question. And there were so many things that the school needed. Obviously, I mean, it had essentially two you know classrooms that were dirt floors and chalkboards and and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I guess uh, it was really interesting because we had ideas about what we thought was going to be the best way to support. And I think that's sort of also, you know, part of sort of um, the homie journey was what we thought we wanted to do versus what actually we ended up doing. Um, but I guess what we loved was that the feedback that came through was, hey, like one of the most challenging things here for us is that um, we're in a really remote community and uh, we, we need teachers. We're, we're losing teachers all the time. They're getting poached into the city. You know, there's obviously a greater standard of living. They're getting remunerated better, all those things. Um, and I guess that was a real aha moment for us. I said, look, if we don't have teachers, we don't have a school. If we've got no school, our children are in the fields and they're, you know, they're vulnerable to exploitation. This is where it starts. So it was that preventative measure. And, and I guess that was a bit of a penny drop moment where I kind of thought, wow, like, you know, what I thought we were going to do versus what we've done. Um, it's really cool to see that we're working upstream, really trying to prevent it from becoming something that could manifest into something far worse, right? So... That's where, I guess, the inspiration for Homie came from because one of the co-founders, Marcus, who you know quite well, obviously, he's got a lot of hair um, compared to us. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I guess um, we had that trip together and became friends and, and, um, and afterwards, you know, wanted to try and do something back home because we're really buoyed by that experience. And at that time, obviously, perfect storm of kind of, you know, time in our lives and, um, you know, working and, and all that kind of stuff. We weren't in our first sort of proper career job yet, right, or... Um, that's what Homie has certainly become for us for the last sort of just under a decade. Um, so we, we wanted to do something and, and thought, how do we kind of channel our skills and where are we best placed to try and make, you know, a start? And, and Marcus's idea was, let's just go and, you know, speak to someone who's um, living rough on the streets because, you know, like it's just we're obviously going to the city every day and we're seeing so many people on Swanson Street who are living rough and... You know, like, let's just go and find out why. What's happening? Why is it getting worse? Um, so we, you know, with a bit of trepidation, you know, on, on my break from study and Marcus is working in retail in the city at the time, just went and spoke to someone and approached them and got down to their level and shook their hand and looked them in the eye and said, hey, can we have a chat? Just want to understand your story and like sort of what's going on and what we could actually do to help. And I guess, again, sort of um, another moment uh, that sort of helped to progress things along, I guess, for myself personally was that, the first person that we spoke to actually had gone to my school um, and I went to a private boys school in Melbourne, you know, obviously had that experience. And, you know, that again was kind of another thing that, you know, hit me and, um, and they had a background, a loving family and a lot of, you know, a lot of things um, in their favor. But unfortunately they, they had a, 
are, you know, a really challenging mental health condition, mental illness, and they weren't looking after themselves. And, um, and they actually ended up passing away, which is really sad. Um, but I guess, again, for me, it was like, wow, you know, this, this isn't that far away, you know, or as far away as we think it actually is because same school, you know, a mental illness. Um, and, and, and really, I was like, goodness me, this could actually be me, really, if, if some things hadn't gone a certain way, if I, I hadn't sought that help and it's sort of, you know, gone down, you know, a spiral or whatever it may have been. Um, so, so it was really interesting, I guess, to ha- have that experience. And, and that sort of, again, ignited a fair bit of passion because when we were speaking to, you know, these people, and that was the first of many, uh, we were realizing that the reality of their situation was really contrasted to, um, you know, what, what's perpetuated in the mainstream media. So we kind of got pretty pissed off about it because we thought it really sucks that on the front page of these sort of tabloid outlets, these people are being portrayed as, you know, um, you know volatile and aggressive and, and all those things. And we were, we were seeing people who'd fallen on hard times, um, who, you know, had come from backgrounds where you wouldn't have never thought that that would transpire for them. But, you know, fortunately, a couple of things had happened, you know, in their life and, and, and that was the result. So I, I guess we, we, we created a... Um, you know, a platform to share these stories because we thought it was really important to try and um, advocate and generate awareness for the reality of the situation versus what was being shoved down people's throats on a, you know, daily, weekly basis, especially during wintertime. And um, it was called Homelessness of Melbourne. So it was kind of, um, you know, I think a lot of new ideas, adaptations of old ones. So kind of appropriating the, the humans of New York kind of momentum, but channeling it towards focusing specifically on homelessness. And the idea was that we would share the stories of these people uh, with their consent and in their own words, try and dispel these preconceived notions towards homelessness. Um, and it was an amazing advocacy piece. It sort of grew very organically, but we just go out on a weekly basis and speak to a couple of people. Uh, Marcus would take a beautiful portrait, um, given that that was one of his skills, and I would sort of do the transcribing. Um, and then we would put it on that platform. And it just, um, it really blew up. I think at its peak, we sort of had around half a million of people who were following the stories and um, it was, was quite a, a movement. So... It was really cool to see that people were responding and they were saying, hey, like, you know, actually um, I've commuted to, to, to work for the last few years and I've walked past this person. I'd never actually felt comfortable to have a conversation, but I, I read their story and I saw that they loved, you know, this musician and I love that musician. And I actually went and had a conversation with them. They were so lovely and I'm going to see him tomorrow. And just, you know, thank you for kind of brokering that, um, you know, transaction, if you will, or kind of um, interaction is probably a better way to uh, to frame it because I, I just never would have otherwise actually had that um Engagement, and then I guess on the you know flip side, the feedback from people who were living rough was that you know like for me, I, I feel like it's Groundhog Day every single day, and that I'm invisible. And the fact that people are actually walking past and getting more smiles, people who were sitting down and listening to my story and having a chat, it just it, you know it, it, it sort of um, helps to quash you know some of the numbness you know that that we feel in the, the mundane reality of what life has been. So it was really cool to see that kind of social cohesion and connection happen. I mean, how did that sort of transpire into, you know, running a streetwear label, social enterprise and, um, you know, employment programs for young people and all that kind of stuff? I mean, it's very much been, you know, quite a highly iterative process. But I think um, we try to channel the momentum of uh, that um, that platform into something, again, that was more sort of tangible um, because people were saying, hey, I've loved it, you know, the stories and I'm interacting more, but um, what else can I do? And we didn't know. We, we, you know, really never quite known, but have just sort of followed the scent of our noses. And and then I guess um, we we decided to do this sort of clothing drive, this pop up um, clothing store in oh, it was Fed Square in December twenty fourteen. And it was we, we saw it was a global movement that had started in South Africa, but essentially it was you know all the online resources around this kind of pop up cardboard thrift shop. 
and we ran Australia's first ever one in, in Fed Square. And the idea was to provide a dignified shopping experience. So we invited the online community uh, to bring along um, you know, brand new clothing or good quality clothing they're willing to part with. And then also people that we were engaging with and the services that we'd met to come and have this kind of you know, dignified exchange. And it worked really well in so many ways, but there were certainly things we could have done better. But we kind of thought, wow, like that was a really cool day. And we saw that we had a captive you know, community and it was largely young people. I thought, how do we make this more permanent, you know, rather than just a day uh, and some awareness raising? What else can we do? And I guess that's where, again, reflecting back on the experience overseas, um, trying to set something up that could essentially become more sustainable and, and where were we best placed to make, you know, a greater impact. And we thought, let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's do more of those days. And then let's also... Um, you know, create a clothing line and and raise awareness of, of you know homelessness and have those conversations at the store, etc., to help again sort of challenge the preconceived notions. And that was kind of where Homie was born. So so Homie was an acronym. It stood for Homelessness of Melbourne Incorporated Enterprise, which is when we went from a Facebook page to becoming a registered charity, and then we uh, essentially um, opened a clothing store. We got a pop up lease for one month at the point in time um, with Melbourne Central Shopping Centre. To, to start a clothing store and then at the end of that month we were going to invite uh, a service in to have that dignified shopping experience and lo and behold uh, our, our first service was was the big issue vendors and obviously it, it's lasted longer than a month it's been eight years and we now have our flagship store in um, Fitzroy in a corner of Brunswick and Johnson Street and uh, we're now running employment programs which is sort of I guess um, underpins everything that we do because we really believe in again that preventative sort of measure and working upstream inspired by that experience that we had overseas. Now, mate, I apologise. That's probably the longest answer you've ever received to a question, but hopefully I've just done half a podcast for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's finished, mate. We're up. We wrap it up. Fantastic. Thanks. Have a good one. (laughs) One thing I've always known about you is your passion. One thing I've always known about you when I met you is like when we first met each other, and I remember we were like trussed together at a presentation and neither of us knew each other and we were both ring-ins. Yes, uh, and it was at Fed Square as well. Usually, the case. Beso- yeah, that's right. Usually, the case. I mean, you would sit beside each other. We had like about a minute to you know, hey, my name's Mick, my name's Nick, uh, and off you went. And I remember when you spoke about what you did. Like I, I'll be honest. Like at that stage, like many of us in the social enterprise stage, we were like head down, just doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly, I remember hearing you speak and talking about what you do, and I was like, man, that's really cool. Like that's amazingly cool. And um, so. I know you speak with passion about it, which is why, you know, um, we got to know each other, but why it's probably been a lot of success in that as well. But with, but passion alone doesn't always get you to where you want to go, yeah? So talk to me about, um, and the listeners a little bit about the business side of things and what was required um, to get this social enterprise up off the ground and, and then also to keep it off the ground and being able to make, you know, it successful so you can actually, you know, put that money back into the cause? Yeah, well, mate, it's a good question. And I, and I think, the, you know, the formula is essentially threefold. It's, it's passion, as you say. It's then a logic, you know, a logical application, of course. Uh, and, and then it's relationships, you know, leveraging those. So, so I think um, it's, it's a really good question because, you know, when we opened that store, the pop-up lease came about because we were just, you know, I guess doing some publicity stunts at the time. And, and I guess we got contacted because we got some, you know, awareness on a few of those mainstream media platforms, which was awesome around, I think it was like the ABC News and remember the MX kind of Metro, you know, publication, they always gave us a good write up there. And then on the project, and I think someone saw that, said, hey, I love what you guys are trying to do. I see that, you know, you've got this page and you've done this event and you're trying to open a store and create a charity and we want to give you guys a bit of a leg up and a chance. So they, they, they have, this, you know, kind of a, you know, a pop up space for, as I say, it was a month initially 
um, and they were very generous in terms of extending that lease for us. Um, but obviously, we had to sort of play ball in terms of not being um, in that one space for the entire tenure for our first year. We had to jump around the shopping centre. We had to, you know, procure, you know, or how, what do you put in a store? You know, we need clothing. We need fixtures and fittings. We need point-of-sale software. We need all of those things. And I think at that point in time, I was pretty excitable and Marcus... And it's usually, you know, the reverse now. He's probably the more of the ideas and sort of creativity and I'm more of the reality check. But he said, Nick, I don't think you quite understand, you know, how hard this is going to be in terms of what we need to actually open a clothing store. <laughs> um, so we really, um, you know, pulled on and leveraged some of the relationships that we had. I guess, you know, for, for instance, I was, you know, one of my jobs was I was a, a manny, similar to one of those guys who did the bike ride. I got into it, I think, inspired by them. And, um, and the family that I was doing it for were sort of quite senior at the time in Target. So they um, got in touch with the powers that be, and they probably were some of the powers that be at Target. And um, they gave us all the fixtures and fittings, said, come to our warehouse, come and choose what you want. Um, so, you know, that was amazing. It was all free and we were able to deck out the store initially. But obviously that was just the stuff to put the clothing on, but you need the clothing. Um, so we did do a crowdfunding campaign at that point in time as well uh, to try and raise some funds to kind of get it off the ground. And uh, as, as part of a reward with the crowdfunding, often obviously you sort of make a contribution, you get some sort of award from the, the group that's trying to um, create the initiative. And, and we decided to do clothing because obviously we're opening a clothing store. So we um, thought, what do we put on the clothing? And we had this really beautiful monogram that these student graphic designers had done for us at the time. And they've gone on to have awesome careers in, in that industry. Um, this monogram that was our Facebook page logo. And we put that on um, some of the apparel is kind of the rewards and the incentives of people to actually donate. And, and that became, you know, essentially the homie brand. It was that monogram sort of almost like our Nike tick equipment, if you will. And, and, and that sort of was one of the products that we ended up then ordering because it was so popular with the crowdfunding campaign to put some of that product in store to sell. And then we had, you know, again, through, I think, just making some noise, you know, often people, you know, who are interested in their ears will prick up and think about what can they do. And some brands that got in touch and said, hey, we've got some excess stock. We're happy for you guys to sell if you want. Uh, so we had, I think, Cotton On and then Stussy as well, you know, two pretty you know, prominent sort of clothing brands that said, we'll give you guys some product and you can sell it and whatever you make, you can keep and, you know, reinvest into the cause. So so I think um, at that point in time, you know, getting it off the ground, it was, it was a real sort of um, community project. Obviously, there were so many parties that came in to sort of help with the initial pilot and that will probably often happen is that you'll there'll be people who'll you know be excited as you say about the um the initiative and and, and want to contribute and see how it goes but then how do you sustain that as you say and that is really hard because i think um you know for instance our store you know i think to trade for you know, the first six to 12 months it was it was voluntary so we were kind of balancing um you know part-time work and study and all those things whilst also having to run a a clothing store, you know, in a shopping center that has um, trading hours that made it really hard after a big Saturday night or Friday night uh, to come in and open the store and then have to work till quite late, um, you know, during the evenings and, and all the rest of that. So um, so it was one of those things, I think, that we, we then got to a position where we were trading enough to be able to take, you know, somewhat of a calculated risk. It was probably a bit cavalier uh, in that we saw this beautiful lease uh, that was available, not the price, but obviously the building. I mean, it was still pretty good, all things considered. Um, and we, we took the leap to go out to what we thought was going to be a community that was going to be really receptive to our initiative. Uh, and that was, you know, obviously to the inner north um, and out to Fitzroy. And, you know, from there, I guess it was about trying to make sure that we could grow a clothing brand and, and, and you know, try and at least generate enough revenue to sort of contribute towards 
what we were supplementing um, being donations and grants and you know philanthropy and all that kind of stuff, which we, we still obviously rely on to an extent, of course, as well. But just try and create a commercial vehicle that can demonstrate year-on-year growth, contribute to the bottom line. And, um, you know, retail is is a funny one because in a lot of ways, right, like you're having to forecast, you know, what you're going to put on the shelf. So there's a risk in, in that as well. Um, and and then also, you know, without the guarantee of, of the sales. So, so being ahead of the curve, et cetera, all of those things that we probably hadn't really precedented or precipitated around, you know, the inner workings of actually running, you know, a sustainable business, but then also a clothing label because, you know, retail is probably one of the harder industries in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, you've got multiple SKUs and products and inventory management and all those things. Um, we probably should have just had one product, right? But we um, we really believed, I guess, in the, the conduit um, that streetwear could be as a medium. Obviously, it's always been, and I don't want to play political, but very progressive, obviously, and, and it's always been expressive and, a, and, a, and I guess, a, um, a medium where people, I guess, who are um, pretty... Uh, active and engaged um, have have obviously sort of um, aligned. So we, we thought it was a really good uh, yeah, medium to connect with younger people. So our whole thing was, well, let's try and make caring cool to that kind of younger demographic because if we can also educate them and when they get to our age, et cetera, be a lot more informed about the issue of homelessness and what they can practically do, well, that's going to be better for everyone in terms of you know having to convert the masses. Let's try and, again, um, work upstream. And then that correlated to, obviously, the impact side of things. And it's always been about trying to, you know, manage and, and balance the, the commercial vehicle with, you know, what you can actually feasibly deliver with impact. But often, because you're impact-led, you always want to try and do as much as possible. Once you actually start working with people, you want to do more because it, it, it feels great. That's what you're actually there to do. Um, and you see the difference that you're making. Um, but, but during that time, as we started trading, we were able to start to, yeah, obviously take on staff. And then um, with those, you know, the VIP day was, was essentially um, one of our initiatives of impact, which was, was spurred on through, you know, it was kind of, I guess the first version of that was really that pop-up that we did in Fed Square. And then we iterated that and refined it to do it sort of in-house, you know, closed doors. Our VIP customers are those who would often not be considered a VIP customer in, in other environments. Um, and create that dignity um, sort of through that shopping experience. And, and I guess we had participants who came through on, on those days and we'd invite a service and the support workers and, and the people. And we had some youth services come through and, and the feedback was, hey, like, um, I actually need a job. I'm finding it really hard. Like, I, loved, I love your business. I, I love the brand. I'm finding it really hard to get work. I've got nothing on my resume, no work experience. I just need, you know, someone to give me a kickstart. And then we started to provide these kind of, you know, paid casual employment opportunities when we were learning sort of retail together and the ins and outs of, of that business. Um, and that just evolved into to, to what's become, you know, as I say, kind of the, um, for us, you know, the, the real anchor of all that we do is we, we provide this retail training and employment program and we're working with young people, um, yeah, who are obviously experiencing, you know, homelessness and providing this sort of eight-month paid retail internship where we pay them to study, um, they, they get guaranteed paid work either working at home or with one of our retail partners. We work with some cool brands in you know Champion and Nike, and it's important that they're aspirational brands as well for these young people. These are you know really progressive, cool workplaces that they actually want to be in versus those which are often the ones that are afforded to them. So that was also a distinguishing feature. But I guess um, you know harking back, they kind of are into, they're obviously are interconnected, right? It's like you can't deliver um, the impact without the commercial vehicle. But also the impact has really helped to deliver, you know, the commercial side for us in terms of, you know, what distinguishes our brand, what's our unique selling point. 
and we also get amazing talent that comes through, you know, this program who, you know, essentially, um, you know, they're, they're part of our business, obviously, and their staff. So um, engaging with that talent as well has, has been um, something that has really aided us in, in our endeavors. So it, it is often, you know, a you know, balancing juggling act, obviously, in terms of making sure that you can marry those two components together. But Matt, we had no business experience. We, we had never run a small business, let alone, you know, obviously it's growing at this point in time, a growing, scaling business uh, and the number of staff, et cetera, et cetera. It has very much been, um, you know, deep end and, and, and learn as you go. But I think um, we've always been really uh, acutely aware of making sure that we don't try and operate outside of our lane too much. Obviously, it's pretty bold to just yeah, open a clothing store and all that. That's probably operating outside of the lane at that point in time. But once we got there, the whole thing was, you know, going back to that experience that we had overseas was like, what's the logical value add that we can create? You know, what, what we don't want to try and reinvent the wheel here. We don't have to try and go out and there are already X, Y, and Z in place, but what's the missing piece and ingredient? And we saw real value in creating an initiative that was going to kill two birds with one stone in terms of the awareness and advocacy, but then also the direct employment solution. So, so that was, um, I guess, you know, something for us that uh, has always helped to, you know, be somewhat of a North Star was let's, let's try and make sure that whatever we're doing is a logical value add. We're not reinventing the wheel and we're complementing what's already existing because homelessness is very complex, but we can be a piece of the puzzle, you know, and, and, and we should pride ourselves on that. We know that we can't do everything for everyone, but we can do something for someone. And when we remind ourselves of that, um, it's really helped to deliver uh, the impact that we're, we're seeking to achieve. I love that. It's the longest answer, sorry, mate. To, no, no, you know, you, so. you've, you've beaten a record. That, that answer has beaten you to record. So uh, yeah, you, you've yeah. now got two. You've got a personal best and you've got an actual uh, What's really? Your Cause uh, award for longest answer. But no, <laughs> I purely joke with you because um, what you say is is, is 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 amazing, really important and great to hear. Like, And I think it's really beneficial for other people to hear um, all about that. And I'm just touching on that, right? So let's get to the... Let's get to the like the entrepreneurial side that that you have, and, and obviously lots of other entrepreneurial people will have when there's standing social enterprise, right? Which you don't dampen the passion because it has to be there has to be fire, yeah, uh, and you have to have something to, to 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 have that spark and ignite that, yeah. What you generally then what you what I'll be listening to you talking there is that in some cases you have the fire and you start and then you gather the experience along the way, yeah. So. Looking back on all in your experience, Nick, yeah, what advice would you give to anyone that's new and like that's looking at starting a social enterprise who has that fire and has that idea, right? But knowing what you know from being where you are today and where home is today, what would be the advice that you would give them that you might have done a little bit differently or you'd just be aware of a bit sooner? Mm, no, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, obviously, a couple of things uh, that come to mind immediately. So we spoke about, yeah, fusing passion and logic is, is I think, super important. So you need the commercial vehicle to sort of support the, um, you know, the aspirational impact endeavors. That's really critical. I think, um, again, I'm going to refer to another writer as well, but I think it might have been Mark Twain who said something. It's like getting something about getting head is getting started or something like that. You know, that's the secret. I think that's very true is that, you know, where you may end up might be very different to where you actually start. And I think you can, you know, sort of hopefully relate to the fact that where Homie came from was that we were literally, we were curious about something. We were curious about homelessness. And I would say to people, be curious. It doesn't have to be homelessness. It can be whatever you're curious about. Why is something like this? Why isn't it like this? You know, what are the challenges within that? 
um, and, and what could I or we possibly do to sort of hopefully try and contribute towards making things better. And, and, and I think that's really important because, you know, this whole thing, you know, what we have now, uh, you know, and it's very different to where we started. It was speaking to people that were living rough sharing stories. It's now intentionally working with young people who are having this experience because we're trying to, as I say, work from a preventative-based approach because along the journey, we've asked questions. We've realized we can't do everything, but where are we best placed within our means and our capacity to actually make a difference? And that's probably the last thing which I spoke about as well is what's your logical value add? You say, you say, what's your cause? I, I, I think mine, mine is within your cause. What is your logical value add that you can contribute, um, you know, to, towards making a difference? Because, you know, it can be overwhelming at times trying to contemplate where do I start and wow, there's so much happening in the world and it's really unpleasant and I just want to do something. But I would also, you know, refer back to what I said, like if you can find like something that can help, you know, keep you sustained and, and mine is just that, daily recognition of trying to make someone's life a bit easier and that can happen through so many different ways in terms of a social interaction or whatever it might be so it doesn't have to be big bold audacious from the start it can just be making a start on something and then what did you learn from that what else could you do that you think might actually better serve the cause etc etc so i think they're probably the elements that i would uh touch on which i think have held us in good stead but also as you say i wish i had some sort of um you know, sort of foresight towards, but, you know, using the, the beauty of hindsight, I would also say it's hard work. And you know that as well, Mick, is that these these things, they're, they're, there's no secret. It's, there's not going to be an overnight kind of Willy Wonka golden ticket, off you go. It is hard work. It is grinding. But what's going to keep you going when you're doing things that no one else would really imaginably do if they were trying to create a business, let alone a social enterprise, is, is actually, um, you know, what are you actually doing it for? Yeah. What's, what's, you need to know what your why is. Um, and you might learn that along the way because if you're curious asking questions, you might evolve. And that's what's happened for me, right, is that I've almost sort of grown and evolved into my causes have been as a result of being curious and kind of just following that journey and then realizing, wow, like what I thought it was is very different to what it actually is and what I thought I would be doing is very different to what you know, um, you know, initially sort of set out to do. But that's a really good thing. I, f- I feel proud of where we've landed. Looking at like leadership and stuff like that, yeah. So you know, um, one thing I've always you know admired from you from a from a distance is like you're obviously a very you know a great leader. You can see that, but you obviously have a lot of fun as well in what you do. You know, you're always you know you're always upbeat. You're always up and about. You know, and I know that even in the challenging times, um, you know, you you, you always have had that. Um, positive attitude and you know solution driven um, kind of mindset as well who are the people around you that have given you that or who are the people that you've seen that you've got them you know you've grabbed them like them elements of leadership that that you kind mm-hmm. of then have put into your own own style yeah, oh, it's a yeah, it's a great question, isn't it? I and mean, thanks for that lovely feedback. I mean, um, it's it's probably a plethora of sources. I think really. I mean, um, obviously, I start immediately with my, my my family, of course, and kind of the, you know what I learned through my childhood and the values instilled. I think um, my my mum always said, um, and she teaches preppies. That's sort of she's done that for for decades, and she she says that, um, and it's not she didn't you know come up with this quote. Obviously, it's something that she it's something that she's heard a lot, and, and she believes in wholeheartedly, like what I do. She um, says you know um people remember how you make them feel right you says the children you know guys you're gonna go you know off etc etc and do xyz and all the rest of it but you know you can say and do whatever but people will always remember how you make them feel and i think that's really important in terms of interactions with people is well one thing you can do to make people's lives easier is make them feel good 
you know, and that's probably um, where it's warranted, of course, um, where, you know, and how I've tried to always uh, interact and exchange. And look, there's so many sources. I mean, you'd be one of them, Mick, as well, in terms of your zest. And, and I'm not, you know, you didn't ask me on the podcast to give you a pump up. But, um, you know, there's so many people, I guess, in, in the sector that we're in. And then inspiration in, in other places around sort of just things that I've, you know, acquired and sort of put in the, the, the tool belt and toolkit over time. Uh, and there isn't one specific kind of, you know, resource. I just say there's been bits and pieces from people that I've, I've distilled and gone, I really like that about that person. And I think that makes them really unique. And um, I, I actually would love to sort of channel a bit of that and, and input it into sort of how I operate with people. So I think it's, again, something that actively always practicing. Um, but yeah, there, there isn't a sort of, yeah, linchpin, I think, in terms of this is exactly where I got you know, X from. It's just being calibrating, um, always learning from yeah, my wife and child, all those things, right? It's, it's amazing like where your, your data, um, you know, is and, 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 you know, how you learn to process it. So um, on a daily basis, but that's not to say, again, like fundamentally um, having those challenging days. And, and I think that's, that's really important as well, you know, as, as just a human being, but also if you're in this space and sector or whatever it might be, is you have to be kind to yourself. I think, you know, burnout is very real in this sector. People wear so much. It's, you know, wanting this thing to be successful, not only because, you know, you just believe in it, but then also the added pressure of, well, you're also trying to affect change. And if you don't do it, then who's going to do it? You know, there's always that kind of tension as well sometimes and added pressure. But I just try and be really self-aware and I know when I'm not up to it. And that might be a day where I go, hey, look, I'm not coming in today or it's just not happening for me going to be a lot harder when I'm actually a stay-at-home dad and um, there's no escaping (laughs) Uh, that. But um, I've always tried to do that work and set that example is, hey, like, I'm not going to front up if I'm actually not my best self. I'm going to put my hand and say, hey, I'm not feeling right today. I'll be right tomorrow, but I know what I need to do to look after myself and I'll go and do that and then I'll I'll come back. So I think that's really important is, you know, probably for a long time, I felt that I needed to always, you know, um, show up and, 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 you know, be a you know, really important sort of pillar of how I operate and, you know, at school and all the rest of that. But um, now, as I say, I'd, I'd rather show up less but be present more, if that makes sense. Not that I'm actually... Um, perfect sense. Not all that... Pre- and I'm absent, but also, yes, just in terms of life, I guess, yeah. Well, you hang out with a few... You, you like to hang out with a few big leaders, don't you? Like, yeah, you're a bit modest about all that, ain't you? Hang out, hang on, hang on. You've you, you, you been hanging out with... Not just me, I'm just joking, but you like to hang out with, you like to hang out with a few. You've been, you've been in the presence of uh, Richard Branson for a bit, haven't you? You've been over, over doing a bit of hang gliding on his island? <laughs> I, I didn't get to do the hang gliding, but yeah, no, I've been very fortunate through, through the journey to meet some amazing people and, and had some incredible... Um, yeah, experiences. That's certainly one that I'd never would have thought would ever uh, transpire. But that was very cool. As I say, it sort of takes some inspiration from someone like that, and then you know, just other people around. It was um, it was pretty awesome, um, and and learn a lot, you know, just through you know observation and uh, and their engagement. Found um, found him to be really present. I thought that was very amazing, actually, to be honest. In terms of, I'm sure what's on the plate and the schedule, but to be very present and receptive to any and all um, questions and um, someone who was so driven, competitive, um, but warm as well, um, sort of felt like they had everything going on, you know, in, in the right way. Yeah, and then next week, the week after, you're having coffee with me. So it was a bit of a down, it was a bit of a down one, mate. Oh, but... I mean, that was the highlight. <laughs> that was the highlight, you know, absolutely. But um... No, no, that's a really interesting point that you make, though, isn't it, being present um, and that because... You know, when you meet people that are of stature and, and you meet people, you know, in any form, it could be 
politician like it could be you know a massive leader in business and so forth as well I think it's not always the case you might have seen it as well sometimes where you feel like you know you have time to talk to them but are they actually listening to what you say or have they got a million things going in their head um, mm. and that's a really it's a really interesting thing and something that I think everyone can kind of be aware of as well because um, sometimes the smallest things people can say are great but being present and actually acknowledging that you are and you can see that someone is present in what you're saying that's absolutely so warming and, and, and pretty pretty golden. Oh, sure. And that's, you know, again, back to, to that lesson that mum taught around, you know, how people, you know, perceive you making them feel, right? Is is that's one very easy way to do it. And it's something that I'd put my hand up and say, look, actively are working on and not perfect, you know, whatsoever. And I'm sure my wife says, Nick, get your phone, you know, uh, a few times. Um, so I, I, I certainly, you know, see that as um, a growth area as well. But you, you really do, as you say, appreciate when you're on the receiving end so if you can kind of um hone that as much as possible uh, when you're trying to deliver it um yeah i think that's a really good trait to have of course this time last year just nearly this time just last year we were in brisbane for the world social enterprise forum um, and it was amazing um amazing couple of days were brought like i just thought it was amazing for the for the country and for the social enterprise space and and globally as well um it was just an amazing thing Coming away from that and, and probably reflecting over the last, you know, year and, and, you know, the reason why I'm asking you this, Nick, is because obviously you're making a little bit of a, a sideways move and, you, you know, in your life and so forth as well. Where, where do you see the social enterprise sector at the moment? Um, either Australian, you can talk globally if you want, but where, what are the things that, that, are, that, that you feel are, you know, that are really heartening and really encouraging? And is there any kind of, you know, blind spots or any kind of concerns that you would have either? Oh, I think you're right. I think it is really encouraging on the whole in terms of, um, you know, new initiatives that are sort of developing and then all the collaborations that are transpiring and the new growth areas and procurement and all these things. I think it is it is very exciting in terms of sort of that horizon and frontier. I mean, I still feel like it's, it gets a bit of lip service in terms of from, you know, the powers that be. Like, I, I, I do think that it is underappreciated, uh, you know, in, at this point in time still in terms of the true value that it can create. And, and, and we need more seats at the tables and at the right tables as well. Like, I think it's it's certainly cutting through and it does get, you know, some um, just recognition. But there's so much potential, as you know, Mick, in terms of uh, not just the impact that can be delivered, but also, you know, sort of what we can contribute towards the economy as well. Uh, if we were able to have, you know, some of the same strategic investments and opportunities that, you know, these corporate sort of, you know, entities are able to um, tap into that we have those, you know, sort of limitations around. So it's, um, I think it's it's well-placed to, to you know, um, you know, actually have a, a very... Um, I guess in some ways um, viable business case, but I but I still think that uh, we need to make more noise and and cut through and and you know as I say like it, it just it's it's nonsensical that there isn't more awareness uh, and investment around this sector because it's it's good for everyone right like it's it's you know it's it's doing business and it's making good like there's it's it's actually also carving the way and being an amazing sort of example to to also you know these corporate groups that are looking to actually make a greater impact in the contribution and they probably have a lot more might in terms of you know what they can invest in all those things and if you could actually channel that you know and work alongside these enterprises and, and all the rest of it the the impacts would be so profound uh, and the ways that we could help 
these businesses do business better, you know, both sort of looking um, internally, but also, you know, how they could support, you know, the external sort of environment, you know, both people, planet, et cetera, as a whole, uh, with our insights. Like there's, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity. I just feel like we haven't, haven't quite broken through yet, um, but it's encouraging to see that there are a lot of entities that are, you know, um, getting started. Um, there's a lot of amazing collaborations that are happening. Um, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd just love to say some more, respect towards it to be honest uh, for lack of a better term yeah no well said well said what's the future for homie and then we'll we'll circle back to what's the future for uh, nick pierce yeah i mean look the the homie future i think is that we we want it we want this um organization you know and this brand and this business to be a household name you know and and, and in australia obviously to start would be amazing but not not just for what we do, but for the way we do it. I think that's really important is that, as I say, our approach is very unique. It's very considered. It's very collaborative. It, it really is an amazing example. And there are so many, to say, enterprises that exist of, you know, um, I wouldn't say best practice, right? Like there are so many things we can all be doing better, but the lessons that so many people could derive from how Homie's operating, how Rebuild's operating, how X, Y, Z, I think it's pretty immense, right? So to always be, you know, a really strong, positive example to others as well about, you know, sort of we can be the spark that can light the fire and hopefully help other groups, you know, um, contribute because we don't need to have the monopoly as well, right? Is it's not about having stores in every single major city, et cetera, et cetera. There are ways that we can leverage and work with other businesses who already have amazing sound business models to actually affect change as well. And that's probably part of the strategy, right, is how do we do that? But also hopefully, you know, generate a commercial return would be awesome. And then from an impact perspective, I mean, it's it's a really tricky one in terms of like, we always talk about conscious growth. We, we never want to bite off more than we can chew. We're working with young people at a really critical, critical time in their lives, you know, who may have, uh, you know, uh, backgrounds of trauma, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the consequence of actually not, you know, taking a very considered sort of, you know, approach with a long-term outlook uh, and doing something half-baked is very considerable. So we, we, we never want to um, bite off more than we can chew in that regard as well. It's really important that, you know, what we're providing is commensurate with obviously how we're performing, you know, from the commercial perspective. But also, there's probably a critical mass in terms of when we will be concerned around delivery of our quality because we might not be able to just facilitate it at a certain level um, to actually, um, I guess, affect the change that we believe is required. So then it's about, well, how do we, as I say, not only help other businesses do better in terms of, you know, how they operate, but also increase their capacity to provide employment opportunities and how do we make them empathetic employers like what we've, you know, sort of, I guess, tried to uh, make ourselves. So um, so I think um, it, it is, it's really encouraging. I think, as I say, that like the key, you know, one of the um, sort of solutions or um, ingredients that's going to enable um, sort of relative success and, and growth for us is going to be business, which is what I just spoke about in terms of, um, you know, what the sector needs. We need that. We need more collaborations. We need contracts. We, we need to be um, doing a lot more in that space because, the long game, you know, if we can um, align and, and, and co-deliver, et cetera, there's so much possibility for us. It really is, you know, Pandora's box. So so that's that's a key piece of the puzzle, I think, for us. And what about for you? What's your, what's your next steps? Because I know you make, yeah, you well, make, my, you're yeah. making a bit of a change. Yeah, a bit I'm of saying all this time. stuff and then I'm not going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> the helm, but, um, Well, as an not, exclusive, before you start, you gave me a bit of an exclusive that I don't think I ever knew about you is when you, I, or maybe I just didn't, I wasn't listening, I wasn't present when you were saying it, was that you were a manny. Yes. Yeah, I did that for, for yeah. Um, uh, it's, and I was sort of going full circle, right? Back to back to that, but with my own kids, which is pretty funny. 
but again, I learned from that experience. And um, for me, I guess, you know, again, um, that principle around, well, where are my best place to make the best possible impact? Well, it's a couple of things, obviously, sort of starting and growing a young family and having our first and our second child coming soon. And my, my wife also running her own business and um, she's doing some awesome things um, as well. But um, I guess it was, yeah, well, I, maybe I don't have to do this um, role that I've been doing uh, with the capacity that I've been deploying to this because it, it's also, you know, been quite challenging, obviously, to sort of both be working full time and trying to raise a young family. We realized that that probably wasn't the most sustainable um, sort of solution for us. But then I guess also reflected pretty deeply and thought, well, I think I also believe that my capacity, where am I best place to make the best impact with home is, it doesn't have to be as the CEO. I'm you know, obviously still a, a founder and, and very conscious of that kind of um, ceremonial title, and, 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 but working out how can I also uh, utilize that and, and hopefully broker some really strong sort of you know, um, commercial relationships and opportunities for home. Maybe I can you know, support the partnership side of things and we've been very fortunate to find a brilliant CEO who's, who's just started and and she's um, absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I've got like so much confidence that she will not only be able to do, you know, what I've been able to do to the same level, but certainly um, a lot better, which is amazing. So I think it's also being, you know, self-aware and going, hey, it doesn't have to be me. That homie's not Nick Pierce um, by, by any means and measure. Um, it has been, you know, a team of so many people who've contributed in various different ways, shapes and forms. Um, but it's kind of nice to be that place where you have that recognition um, within yourself to go, it doesn't have to be me doing this. I could be doing that, and that's going to make maybe um, you know equal to a greater contribution than what I have been doing as well. Whilst also enabling uh, you know the support of my wife with what she's doing. So uh, it is exciting. It is kind of daunting. It's it's the first time since I've sort of finished school that you know I guess I won't have that structure and routine. You know, in terms of um, what it's been like uh, traditionally uh, with with how I've managed my my OCD as well, but. And an exciting new challenge, obviously, in terms of being the um, CEO of the household for for a period. Big job. Uh, also, thanks, mate. Now, whilst also trying to, um, as I say, further the things that we've spoken about in terms of how I can still support Homie, because um, I, you know, I believe in it as much as ever, and, um, and and I guess yeah, I just believe that also what I can be doing um, can can be, uh, I guess, potentially greater as a contribution than what I've been able to do as well, and. It's amazing to be able to bring someone in who, as I say, like you just you feel so good about, um, you know, their potential and um, and how they see things and um, and yeah, I'm really invigorated by that. So it's been I love the exercise because Homie needs to be able to exist beyond me or you know the other founding members, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's the you know another goal is, is that it actually can exist beyond you know um, sort of our tenures and then you know maybe beyond our. Uh, lifetimes, but who knows, right? You, you got to have a crack. Yeah. Well, you know what? I probably never said this as well, but like, I think, you know, you look at your, you know, I remember when you first told me what you you know, what you were doing, your next plans and so forth. And, you know, we were, we were, we were kind of entering into collaborations, which we're still in, you know, and which is a watch that space. But, but I always remember going away and thinking about that. And I think that's a really, really defines kind of leadership to me as well is, is, is when you know to make the right decisions and how you come to them right decisions um, and making the decision that's best for you as well as what you feel is best for, you know, your company and so forth as well. And, you know, obviously you've been known as, you know, the CEO and you've done all that and you're always that, that, that face of, um, of homie as such, you know, obviously with, with Marcus as well. But to do what you do and to make the decision that you made, I think that's great leadership. I think there's there's always a temptation to keep doing everything and try and do everything, 
and that's where I think you know it can not be good for you know individuals and also not good for their actual businesses, whether social enterprise or you know or for profit, non for profit, whatever it is. So I look at what you do, and I think it's an exciting chapter for you. It's an it's an amazing bit of leadership that you're showing um, that people can look at and, and look at that decision and how you came to it and, and what it's going to do for you and for Homie. And it's not for like obviously you know I know you you're not going to be out of the game and you're never out of the game. But, you know, what you'll come back with, I'm really excited to see where your mind takes you over the next while and, and what it brings to you as a person when you do decide on new ventures or whatever that might be. Oh, thanks, mate. No, it's very reaffirming to, to hear that. Um, and, yeah, mate, honestly, it's just um, feels right. And as you say, it's, it's, it's not a forever thing. And I, I know my, my heart will always be with, with this sector and space. You've been brilliant today, mate. Um, I've loved, ha- loved um, having you on. I'd love to have you as a guest. And, uh, and I think our listeners will love the, you know, what you've given um, to this podcast and, and, and what you, well, you know, when you talk about your causes and everything that you've done with Homie. It's, been, it's incredible what he's, what he's achieved. And I know it's not finished yet by any means. Um, we finish off. So part of the podcast, as you know, when you're a guest, you have to uh, nominate the next guest um, and so on. And so become that kind of chain that, that hopefully one day will you know, lead to you know, uh, Barack Obama. Um, but as I say, the golden thing about it is, is that you know, I, get to, I feel very privileged to share all these amazing causes as we go, um, yours being the latest. So yeah, so I'll ask you to have a think about it. Mm. It'd be great if you could give me a name to someone that you feel we should, you know, get on the podcast and who we could have, who I could have a great chat with about uh, an amazing cause or causes that they are passionate about. Absolutely. Look, I've got some people in mind for sure. I mean, um, you know, sort of not to break some news. I mean, I actually do know Barack Obama. Um, <laughs> the the thing is, he just doesn't know me. That's the only thing. That's the only was, caveat. Was he with you? Was he a necker on him with you? I know. I know. I know of him. I just, he just doesn't know me. That's the, <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm aware of who he is. Um, but no. Definitely, I think I've got some people who, who hopefully we got to bring you a step closer as well to, to that person. So, mate, looking forward to, to putting the guest forth. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, always a pleasure um, talking to you and knowing you. And, uh, yeah, wish you nothing with the best going forward, buddy. Mate, right back at you. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow and share or even leave a comment. You can follow me on Instagram on Mick23Cronin. This podcast was produced and edited by Mick Cronin. Thank you.